So Julie just told you when the Christmas Eve services are, and I hope you find one that works for you. And then invite someone else to come with you, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody you go to school with. You know, this time of year, people are looking to make this season meaningful, whether they think of themselves as people of faith, whether or not they're attached to a church. And so maybe an invitation from you would be that little nudge they need to come to something like this and, and have a great Christmas Eve. So I'd encourage you to invite someone if you can. Now, Sunday, December 25th, we will not be gathering to worship, but we'll be back together on Sunday, January 1st at our normal worship times. A couple Fridays ago, my wife and I were trying to figure out something to do. We were kind of bored and so bored that I got to the point where I was scrolling through uh, the movie theaters and like what's showing, because we haven't been to a movie theater in like 10 years, right? She and I haven't, movies aren't our thing. And so I'm going through, throwing out names of movies and neither of us, of us have heard of them until finally at Hollywood 14, I find this is playing. Yeah, we've heard of this because this came out originally, at least back when we did go to movie theaters. And so we're like, should we do it? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, so we did it and we got there and there was only one other dude in the, in the uh, auditorium with us watching the show, which I found out there's a really good reason why there's only one other person there. I could have watched this for free at my house. I just didn't know that. So 20 bucks later, we're in there, we're watching it. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's fun. It's something to do. You know, you, you kind of liked it, whatever. It was good to see on the big screen. Uh, but one thing you'd for sure say about that film is that it is very, very predictable, right? I and mean, there was never a moment in time where you didn't know what was going to happen next, which made it fun for me because there's this time, it looks like Tom Cruise is going to be shot out of the sky, right? He's going to die. And I look over at my wife's like, like, she's real intense. She's watching it. And then I hear her say, come on, USA, do something. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's my favorite thing of the whole night. <laughs> come on, USA. Like, honey, Tom Cruise is not getting killed in this movie, right? We know that. We know that. I think one reason I'm drawn to the Christmas story is because it is anything but predictable. And yet we're so familiar with it that we miss out on some of the twists and turns in the, in the, in the plot, right? We just have seen it so many times. Now, if, if we had written the Christmas story, I think we would have written a Top Gun version, something more conventional, something more predictable. Like our Christmas story Top Gun style would have been something like, you know, first Tom Cruise starring as Jesus, which would be super cool, I think. But, but Jesus is the gritty up-and-comer who overcomes all the challenges until it looks like he is going to be killed by the Romans, like he's met his match. They're getting ready to crucify him, but someone comes in, saves him at the last second. He rides off into the sunset on a camel with the woman of his dreams. You know, that's the Top Gun Christmas story that I think we would have written. Now, that's not the way God wrote it, right? But we wouldn't write it like he did. With Jesus, the King of Kings, uh, coming as a product of a, of a scandalous pregnancy to an unmarried woman in very humble circumstances. Now, if we would have written the Christmas story, Jesus' birth announcements would not go out to poor, lowly shepherds. It would have gone out to the rich and powerful because they are the ones who gives the best gifts. If, if we had written the Christmas story, it would, everything would have been easier, right? There would have been no stress, no pain. 
No doubt, no fear, no on the run from uh, an enraged king, no uh, uh, poverty. It would have been a lot easier than what actually happened in history. And you know the reason I know that that's the way we would have written their story? Because that's the way we want God to write our story. That's how we want God to write our story. Like, we don't mind if there's a little drama in our life, if God wants to put that in. Well, okay, as long as it gets to resolve quickly. We don't mind a few twists and turns if, if somehow God enjoys that, but we want it to have a happy ending. But, but what if God wrote? What if God wrote the Christmas story in the way that he did, with all the twists and turns, with all that's unpredicted in it? What if he did that so that we could trust him with our story? and all the twists and turns in our life. You have any twists and turns in your life? Like something you didn't expect, something you didn't want, and here it is in your life, and now you have to deal with it. I mean, anytime you say, God, this isn't supposed to be in my script. This is not the way that I wanted to write it. I get to be the author of my story, God, not you. Maybe it has to do with family. Like maybe you thought you'd be married and you're not, or you didn't think you'd be divorced, or you thought you'd have kids and you don't, or you didn't realize you were going to be taking care of your parents with Alzheimer's. Maybe it has to do with money and career. You thought you'd be out of Columbia. You thought you'd have a better job. You thought you'd be happier. You didn't know you were going to have anxiety or depression or a, or a child who's making really bad choices that are just breaking your heart. I don't know how your story hasn't turned out the way that you wanted but if you're in that position, if you're in a position where you go, well, I had a vision for my life and how it was going to go, and my life's not turning out like that, that makes you like every single one of us. Right? You're not unusual. You're normal. Every human being has faced that. The, the, the unexpected comes. And the unwanted comes. Now, how are you going to deal with that? See, see I, I think that perhaps God put into the Christmas story the unpre unpredicted and unexpected because he knew that our life would be filled with the same. And what he wanted us to know is that God writes better stories, that God is a better author of our life than we are, that God writes the better story even of our life. See, there's nobody who faced more twists and turns and uh, unexpected things than Mary. I mean, her life was filled with drama she didn't want. She was blindsided by a whole change of plans. She, she's faced with, with condemnation, confusion. All this stuff happens in Mary's life, and she didn't want any of it. She didn't ask for that. It's not how she thought her story was going to turn out. When we go through her story... I want you to watch. I want you to pay attention to how she responds when life doesn't go the way she expected. Because I think we got a lot to learn from her. All right, Life of Mary, Luke chapter one, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is a really normal response from a really normal girl. First of all, her name, Mary. She's one of six Marys in the gospel. Six. Half the people at the time she lived, half the people in that area were named, half the women at least, were, were named Mary. 
I mean, if you, if you had written a baby name book back then, it would have been a bestseller, right? They were not very creative on their names. But what's the point? The point is that there's nothing remarkable about her, nothing special at all. The story continues. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, when I read this, I just picture Mary sitting there, hearing all this for the very first time. And I just suspect there was a long pause as she processes what this angel is telling her. And then in verse 34, her response. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? I mean, Mary doesn't, doesn't argue with God. She's just too confused. She's too shocked to argue. Now, some people have tr- tried to write off the, the virgin birth or what's more accurately called the virgin conception by saying, well, look, people back then, they just didn't know how babies were made. They were confused. They were uninformed and unenlightened. Now, I, I get that we know a lot more about reproduction than they did in the first century. But obviously, Mary knew that virgins didn't have children. That's why she asked this question. And here's the angel's answer. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now now put yourself in Mary's position. She's somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. She's engaged to a man who's older than her in Joseph. She's gonna go to Joseph and and say what exactly? Hey, Hey Joseph, here's the deal. I'm pregnant, but I haven't been unfaithful to you. I'm pregnant, but you see, Joseph, it was an angel that appeared to me, and this is God's child in my body. You see, Joseph, God is doing a miracle inside of me. Now, what do you think the odds are that Joseph is going to believe that story? We're not privy of exactly what happened in that conversation between Mary and Joseph, but we do know that at the end of that conversation, Joseph definitely did not believe her. And you can't really blame him, can you? See, Mary knew what happened to women like that. She had watched what happened to women in her town, women who were deemed adulteresses. And so she knew what would happen to her if that's how she was thought of. A woman in that situation would be taken to the public square, her clothes torn in a way that made her look and feel shameful. Her hair would have been taken down, jewelry stripped off of her, and she would have been made to stay there, remain there, while people walked by and clucked their tongues and shook their heads and made all kinds of cruel comments. This is definitely not the life Mary imagined for herself. This life was was, was much harder, much worse, much different than her own version. This life is going to cost her It's going to cost her 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 reputation. It's going to cost her her marriage. It might even cost her her life because they may very well stone her to death. So when the angel first told Mary all this information, there was a lot that she didn't understand. But what she for sure understood from the very moment she heard it is that her life, the way she wrote it in her head, the way she wrote her life turning out was not going to be reality. She was going to have to lay aside all her dreams and, and all of her, her, her agenda for her life. That was all gone. She wasn't going to ride off into the sunset in a happily ever after kind of story that she wanted. 
That's what makes her response so amazing. It's what we can learn from. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. See, the angel says all this. Mary is confused. She doesn't know exactly how it all plays out, but she knows her, her life is over, at least the way she imagined her life being. And what she says is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This is not kind of passive resignation to circumstances that are beyond her control. In other words, she's not saying, well, look, there's nothing I can do about it, so I just got to deal with it. That's not what's happening here. Instead, this is very active. She is actively surrendering to the God who controls all the circumstances in her life, to the God who controls all things. See, what Mary is doing, what we are literally watching happen in this story is Mary is having to answer the question, who is the Lord of your life? Like, who calls the shots? Who's the boss? Who are you, Mary? Who do you serve? Who do you worship? That's what she's having to, to, to struggle with here. Because to say that, 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 that Jesus calls the shots is to say that she's going to have to submit to him, to surrender to him. That means laying aside her dreams, laying aside where she wanted to live, how many kids she wanted to have, what she wanted to do with her life. All that is going to be gone now. And now she is going to have to say, Lord, your will be done, not mine. That's what it means to surrender to God, is to say, your will be done in my life. Have you done that? Like if you decide the lordship question, it's probably not a question that we just answer once and move on, is it? It's like a question we have to keep coming back to. Sometimes it maybe feels like we come back to daily or maybe sometimes multiple times a day. Who's the Lord of my life? Do you even believe, do you believe what Mary prayed? Like do you believe you're the Lord's servant? Because that's what she said. She goes, I am the Lord's servant. I don't know how my life's going to play out. I don't know what my future holds. It doesn't look good right now. But I believe that your will, God, is better than my will. Do you believe that? See, what Mary had to come to terms with is, is that the foundation of her life, what was going to kind of make her happy, what was going to provide a sense of peace and contentment of I like my life, it was not going to be that everything was going to turn out the way she wanted it to. She was building her identity on being the Lord's servant. She was building her happiness on God's will as being better than her will, that God writes better story than the story that she would write for herself. Do you believe that? That God writes a better story than you'll write, even for you? See, if your life has to turn out the way you want it to, in order for you to be happy, in order for you to be okay, for you to be at peace, for you to have joy in your life, well, good luck. I mean, let me know how that turns out. Because nobody's life turns out the way we think it should. So Mary's response here is from a deep conviction. It's not just some spur of the moment that just popped out of her mouth. Somehow she got the right answer and we're not sure how. No, these are from deep convictions of her life that God can be trusted and that God's will was better than her will. So let's just go through it here. I am the Lord's servant. 
What's that mean? If you say that, if you say about yourself, I am the Lord's servant, it means you are not in charge of your life. It means that you do not give orders, but you follow them. You're not the boss. Your life is devoted to please the Lord. That's what servants do. Servants please their, mas- please their masters. So if, if you're the Lord's servant, you please him. To say God's will is better than my will, to say he writes better stories than I write, means to say that, that even when I don't understand, even when it's all confusing, even when it's not going the way I want, I will still believe that God's will is better than mine. Now, it's easy to say that in principle. It's a lot harder to say it when you start thinking about maybe your kids. Is God's will better than your will? Or do you know how their life should go better than God? Or, or your career? Or your finances? Or your mental health? The struggles, the challenges? Do you really believe that God's will is better? And are you willing to surrender? Because you see, Mary did. That's why she's able to embrace with confidence all this drama, all these twists and turns, all the unexpected and unpredicted, because she trusted God with it. So how does all this play out in her life? Well, isn't it a fairy tale? It isn't just, oh, it all ended happily ever after. No, that's not how it works out. Mary was not being overly dramatic. She was right. She was going to lose a lot. And one thing she lost is her reputation. Nazareth is a small town, maybe a few hundred people. And that's the hometown that, that, that Jesus grew up in. Now, Joseph comes to believe Mary's story about being pregnant with God's child. That's only because an angel showed up and told him, though. The angel doesn't show up in the rest of the town. Nobody else in the town believes her. So now, decades later, when Jesus is, is, is preaching one of his first sermons in his hometown, it doesn't get a great reception. Listen to what they say the people in the town. They say, where did this man, Jesus, get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. See, a person would normally be referred to in relationship with their father. And so this line here, isn't this Mary's son? That's an insult. That's a dig. That's a jab at a very, very sore spot. The people in the hometown, they're saying, hey, look, we know the story. And to be frank, we don't know who Joseph's or who Jesus's dad is, right? We don't know. We know the mom's Mary, but nobody knows who the dad is. So here Jesus as an adult is still being taunted as an illegitimate child and Mary's reputation, what had developed as a bad and unfair reputation was being thrown back into her face. So maybe it's no coincidence that Jesus has a special place in his heart for women who have um, unsavory reputations, whether they're earned and deserved or not. Maybe it's no surprise that those women that people had rejected, society rejected and condemned, and the religious leaders had, had judged unworthy of them. Maybe there's, there's a reason that Jesus spoke kindly and compassionately and graciously to them and made room for him, them in his ministry. See, maybe that's because Jesus knew how his mom had been treated. It's easier to extend mercy to others when you remember how much mercy you need yourself. Our kids, when they were young, 
and maybe all kids are like this, I don't know, but they love to hear the stories about how they were born, right? Like, how did I enter into the world? Uh, you know, those kind of things. And so Christine, my wife, would kind of tell them these long stories of, of, of how uh, uh, they were induced to come out into the world, right? The doctor had to give her drugs in order to get the kid out. And, and, and this long hours of labor and, and the struggle to find just the right name for them. And she'd go on and tell them about what a heroic, calming presence their father was in the midst of that whole thing. It's a very good part of the story, but I, I don't have time right now to tell the whole thing. She, she would tell them all that good stuff. John Ortberg says, imagine, imagine what it was like when Jesus asked Mary that question. Hey, mom, tell me, what was my birth like? And what does Mary do? Where did she start? With an angel that showed up to me? How does she explain the whole virgin thing? How does she explain, oh yeah, the angel came and said, you are the son of the most high God. So maybe what Mary did is just said to Jesus, hey look, God brought some unexpected twists and turns into my life. And I said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your will. And then maybe she just said to Jesus, you know, son, if you ever get in a point where you're overwhelmed and you're troubled and you don't know what to pray, you should just pray that God's will would be done in your life. Maybe the hardest thing for Mary to deal with was that Jesus did not turn out to be the Messiah that she expected. Along with every other first century Jew, Mary thought that the Messiah was going to come and purge Israel of sinners. But now here is her son saying that he's the Messiah, but he's not purging of sinners. In fact, he's accepting and welcoming sinners. They're becoming part of his followers. And, and worse yet, all the religious leaders, those who are respected by the people, they are turned off by Jesus. They're offended by him. They don't want anything to do with him. See, Jesus' ministry attracted the people on the margins and the overlooked. This wasn't the kind of ministry that made a mother proud. How did that affect his family? We get a little clue in Mark 3. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. I mean, Mary didn't get it any more than anybody else did. She was as confused as the other disciples. This is not the, 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 the messiahship. It's not the way she thought religion should play out. But guess what? This is another plot twist, another chance for Mary to surrender. Now we get to the night before Jesus is crucified. He's out in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. His soul is troubled. He's overwhelmed. He's sweating drops of blood. And three times he prays to his father, Father, may this cup pass from me. Father, may, may, may you take away this cup from me. Three times. But three times he ends his prayer by saying this. But I want your will, not mine. But I want your will, Father, not mine. Where do you learn to pray that? Think his mom? Because doesn't that prayer, God, I want your will, not my will, doesn't that sound a lot like the prayer that Mary prayed at the beginning of his life? I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your will. That night, Jesus is arrested. He's tried, he's convicted, and finally the next day, he is hung on a cross. Everybody's fled. No one else is there. 
right? The disciples have fled. They're all gone, except, except for mom, John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. The Romans allowed, in some cases, near close family to be uh, close to the person who was being executed. And so everybody else is gone. Mary's still there watching her son. Of course, he's an adult now, but, but every parent will tell you that no matter how big their kid gets, they still see the kid. No matter how much of an adult, yeah, they're an adult, but you still see the baby. So she's watching her son. She's watching her child die knowing this is not how she wanted it to be. This isn't how she was going to write her story or his story. But she's also learned that God has a good plan. She's also learned to say to every unexpected thing in life, every twist and turn, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your will. She's learned to say, not my will, but your will be done. Where do you need to say that to Jesus? Like in what area of your life do you need to say, this is a twist, this is a turn, this is unexpected and unpredicted, and to be frank, I don't want it. But not my will, but your will be done. Because I am the Lord's servant. See, all those twists and turns, all those unexpected challenges, they're another chance to surrender, to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And God writes better stories. God, you write a better story for my life than even I can. So I will trust you. Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment here to bring that area of your life to Jesus and ask for the grace to say, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe it's something in your past that you can't let go of. There's so much hurt and so much pain that you're having a hard time letting go. But maybe today's this day you say, Jesus, I believe you write better stories. Or maybe it's something now or, or in the future that you're wracked with anxiety over and you just need to go palms up. Palms up, Jesus, my life is yours. Not my will, but thy will be done. Because I believe that you write better stories. Jesus, we pray. We pray for everyone in our congregation, here in person or online. We pray for all of us, Lord, especially those in pain. who are in the middle of it right now, in the dark place today. We pray, Jesus, that you would give us the hope that Jesus is coming, that you are coming again that you hear our prayers. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come and rescue us from our darkness. Come and give us hope. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you to write the story of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.